Okay, you are being recorded. Good morning. Today is the, I don't know the English date, it's the 5th of Shvat. 15th of, 15th of January. January. Martin Luther King's actual birthday. Oh, that's something to consider. Go for Good. And we are starting right at the bottom of... Uh, Iraq to get out of Kuwait. Ah. So we're starting right at the bottom of Lamed Bet, Amud Bet, and going through Lamed Gimel in Masachet Gittin. We're in the fourth parak. And just to remind ourselves, yesterday we started with the first Mishnah in the fourth parak, HaSholeach Get Ishto. The question is the power of the husband to, after having appointed a Shaliach, to deliver the get to his wife. In this case, what happens if the husband should cancel the appointment of the Shaliach, the messenger, to bring the get? And that would totally nullify the validity of the get because the Shaliach is no longer authorized to deliver it. Uh, and Rabban Gamliel had made a takana. So this is one of the first things that we're going to see that's because of tikkun haolam. There's going to be a section about tikkun haolam, fixing the world. We're going to see there's a debate among the Amoraim about what that refers to. And also, then there will be a list of things that were takanot made because of darchei shalom. Uh, but here, the question we see is that what would happen if the husband would appoint a shaliach to deliver a get and then cancel the shaliach? The wife will receive the get from the shaliach. The shaliach won't have known that his shlichut was canceled. And then the wife will think that she's divorced and then she will go and remarry. That's the presumption. Though we're going to see there's a bit of a machloket about the actual circumstances. So we are starting now from just from the bottom of Lamed Bet Amud Bet. We had seen Barishona uh, Hayauseh. So this is a line from the Mishnah that originally the shaliach was able to cancel the shlichut of the shaliach. Um, that the husband could create a beit din somewhere else where the shaliach was not and tell that beit din that he was canceling the shlichut of the messenger he had already appointed and that would nullify that shaliach, therefore the get would be unable to reach the woman and she would not be able to be divorced. So pshat might be that he could still cancel but not convene a beitin. Or alternatively, Rabban Gamliel is saying that the shaliach has to be aware that his shlichut has been canceled. And the bitl itself requires right. that. Okay. It's an interesting point to note that part of the more lumdish questions around shlichut are about how much is the shaliach really taking the place or taking the power of the original actor. In this case, the husband has transferred power to the shaliach to deliver the get. In what way now is the shaliach functioning totally independently? And how much is there still an umbilicus connecting back to the original owner, uh, original husband? And so in this case, the power of the husband to cancel the shalichut is in some way still that the, the husband's active power in empowering the shaliach at every moment rather than that initial command being carried through. Right, those are those figures, for example, in Kiddushin. In Kiddushin in the second parish. Right. exercise his own judgment right. so, and parameters. Exactly. So there are a lot of different questions that come up about that. So we see in the Gemara right now at the bottom of Lamed Bet Amud Bet, Itmar, Bifnei Kama Mivatlo. So in front of how many Dayanim or how many people can the husband cancel the shaliach, that is, back when the husband was allowed to cancel the shaliach. Rav Nachman Omer Bifnei Shnaim, Rav Nachman says only two <coughs> dayanim or two witnesses. Rav Sheshes Amar Bifnei Shlosha. 
So Rav Nachman and Rav Sheshis disagree about whether it's in front of two or three uh, judges, this Beit Din that the husband would convene. Did that have to be a Beit Din of two people or a Beit Din of three people? Now, the idea of a Beit Din of two people is an interesting question. Um, the Gemara in the beginning of Sanhedrin discusses why it is that a Beit Din has to be three people. And the prominent or predominant opinion there is that it's because the principle Ein Beit Din Shakul, we don't allow an even-numbered Beit Din because we're concerned that when they're ruling on a case, there will be 50-50 split in terms of the vote. That's why the vice president is the president of the Senate, has the power to cast the 101st vote in the American Senate, because if it would be 50-50, they would be stuck. Um, and so that concern perhaps doesn't apply in a case like this, where there's no judgment being passed. This Beitin is not ruling on a case. This Beitin is just overseeing the declaration of the husband that he cancels his shlichu. So that's one reason why Rav Nachman's opinion that you only need two dayanim is at least potentially tenable. The question is then, well, what's his basis for that? Where does he get it from? How can he justify it once we've already established the idea of a Beit Din requires three people? But that's at least the presumption. We also saw in the first parak, I think, the question about whether Kium um, Shtarod, where the Beit Din also is not judging a case, they're not voting on anything, whether that Beit Din also could be an even number or not. Um, Okay, so Rav Nachman So Rav Nachman, who holds that it could it could be in front of only two judges, thinks that because even two people, two judges, count as a Beit Din, they're called a Beit Din. Because he quotes a Mishnah from Masachet Shvit discussing the institution of the Perzbol. And the Prisbol, the text that's quoted in the Mishnah says, I give to you Dayan Ploni and Dayan other Ploni. And it only mentions Ploni U Ploni. Two, seemingly. Two Plonies. And therefore, the Mishnah seems to indicate that for the writing of a Prisbol, which is again a document of the court's right to ex- ex- uh, receive uh, payment on a loan that would otherwise have been canceled by the Shemitah year. So in that context, uh, the Beit Din seemingly could be two rather than three judges. It's the type of age more than anything. Ah, so that's going to be our question. Rav Sheshit says, what, you think the Tana teaching the Mishnah has to go and list plony, 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 like he's a, a salesman out in the marketplace announcing, you know, pots for sale, pots for sale, pots for sale, over repeating it many times. He says, look, even if there are three Dayanim, the Mishnah is not going to tell you Ploni, you Ploni, you Ploni. It's a waste of words. You know that a Beit Din has to be three people, and therefore the Mishnah knows that you know that, and they don't have to, the, the Tana didn't have to say. So no, Rav Nachman says, I have a further proof, meaning it's not just from the Ploni argument. He says, the judges sign on a star, meaning I think in this case this is still referring to the Prusbol, it's from Shvi'id as well. The Dayanim sign underneath, meaning at the bottom of the star of the Prusbol, Oha Edim, the judges sign or the witnesses. My love, Dayanim Dumia De Edim, Ma Edim Shnaim, Af Dayanim Namishnaim. So just like there are two witnesses, we know anytime we need witnesses, there are two witnesses. So presumably, there also could be two Dayanim. The Mishnah equates their power in effecting this document. Midi Ha 
No, two witnesses and three judges, because I know that with judges you always need three, and I know with witnesses you always need two. That there are two tracks that this document can take. If it's signed by witnesses, it needs to be signed by two witnesses. And if it's signed by the judges presiding over this document, then it needs three signatures. This is to say, a document can take on two different roles in court. It can be a written testimony by witnesses, which is then approved by the judges, or it can be a written transcript of the case by the judges, and then the judges would sign. However, so so then why does the mission even have to tell me both of them sign on this star in this way, uh, underneath and seemingly equivalently? So now backing off from what I said. Actually, the text of the document can be written in the voice of the witnesses. We testify to the fact that Plony Ben Plony submitted his uh, loan to the court and this last day of the seventh year of the Shemitah cycle, and then the judges could sign, or it could be written in the voice of the judges. We, the judges, sat here and saw the witnesses approve the passing over of this loan to us, and then it could be signed by witnesses. So actually, it doesn't really matter. They're not two distinct tracks that the star can take. The judges can be witnesses, the witnesses can be judges, but if they're judges, they have to be three, and if they're witnesses, there have to be two. However, Tosos notes, if you look at... Um, not, not Tosos, yeah, sorry. Okay, fine. So the Gemara continues. Mipnei tikun haolam. The reason Rabban Gamliel made this takana, that the husband cannot cancel the shlichut, cannot cancel the messenger to deliver the get. Yeah, your question? Just a briefly... So, would you say that the reason ultimately why, if they're judges, there needs to be three, is more formalistic rather than functional or contextual, right? In other words, they're functioning just like the Adim, but we don't want to mess up where sometimes you have a Beitin of two, sometimes you have three Beitin, if it's Diana, it's always going to be three. As a matter of formality. That might be the case, or it might be that there is some effective power of the court at play, but there is still some kind of wiggle room in terms of how the star is written. Um, it sounds like the first one. It sounds like since we say ain beitin shakul, there's never an even numbered beitin. We, we have to have three. Have a right. Situation where that doesn't apply. Right. So what's the conclusion about two or three? The conclusion seems to be that the halacha follows Rav Nachman. That is, we only require two. That is, um, whenever we have Machokas, Rav Nachman and Rav Sheshet, usually the halacha follows Rav Nachman. The fact that the Gemara is trying to tease out their arguments doesn't seem particularly meaningful for us. The proof that Rav Nachman brings, I didn't think is particularly convincing. The, and Rav Sheshet's uh, objection is not particularly convincing. But that's part of what they're trying to navigate here, is between what role does the Beidin play in canceling a shaliach? That's sort of a strange thing. We're going to see in a bit. The, the Gemara discusses that, the Machlokas between uh, Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish. Uh, and the reason why Halakha follows Rav Nachman is because Rabbi Yochanan is the one who holds like um, Rav Nachman, and Rish Lakish holds like Rav Sheshet. But fundamentally, um, you know, both positions seem to have a lot of logic behind them. I, I don't see any clear reason why a husband announcing in front of two witnesses is not enough, but announcing in front of three judges is somehow better or worse. So the halakha says two is fine, but again, this is all canceled now that Rabban Gamliel made this takana. The interesting question then is how come this whole sugi exists? These are later Amoraim discussing 
something which seemingly no longer applies. Charlie has a question. Stein's also to note that Rambam and Shulchan Aruch hold by Rav Nachman. Right. So and the riff uh, also. Um, did they the, conclude about what the definition of a chord is? Or so is not here. Uh, in Sanhedrin, the discussion there goes through, the first Mishnah in Sanhedrin goes through every single thing or almost every single thing that needs a court and how many judges it needs. And some things requires a uh, capital court, requires 23 judges and things like that. Other kinds of cases require only three judges. And then you sort of get into all those uh, balances. And the first sugya in Sanhedrin is why do we need an odd number? Um, oh, but, but this idea here of, you, of using the two in terms of using the term court. Right, so Rav Nachman says that. Also. It they seems like it. that's ab- accepted, except that uh, Tosfot deals with it. The bottom Tosfot on Lamed Bet, Lamed Bet sort of raises that question of, of sort of how come we can allow a court of two, uh, sort of doesn't that break the rules, and the other Rishonim are going to deal with that question exactly. Um, okay, so Mipnei Tikkun Haolam. What was this Tikkun Haolam? My Mipnei Tikkun Haolam. Rabbi Yochanan Amar Mipnei Tikkun Mamzerim. Rabbi Yochanan thinks that it, this decre- this ability of the husband to cancel the shaliach was nullified by Rabban Gamliel because of Tikkun Mamzerim. That is to prevent there being Mamzerim. A woman should not receive a get which is functionally null. Think that she is divorced. Go and marry another man have children in that new relationship, and then those children would be mamzerim because it's She's actually adultery. Married, right? So that would be tikkun mamzerim. So in order to prevent mamzerim, the husband's power to cancel the get or cancel the shaliach to deliver the get was can't blocked by Raman Gamliel. Okay. Reish Lakish takanat agunot. And Reish Lakish thinks the opposite. He thinks it's tikkun takanat agunot to prevent women from waiting uh, to remarry under the same circumstances. That is, this is the same machloket as we saw in the beginning of Ketubot between whether the concern is prutzot or whether the concern is tznuot. Are we worried that a Jewish woman, having received a get that is not a kosher get, is going to go and now commit adultery and there will be mamzerim because of that? Or are we concerned that she'll be from and wait to remarry even in cases where the get was kosher perhaps and then she'll be waiting forever to receive a kosher get, and, sh- and her suffering in terms of not being able to move on with her life and not being able to remarry is what we're concerned about. So either of those shikulim are always in balance. On the one hand, considering, are we worried about tsnuot, the women who are, are so careful and from about their marital status that they're going to be overly strict, and then prutzot, women who are going to be overly lax, and, and that adultery could result and mamzerut could result. So that's the tension between Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish, though seemingly they're both good reasons for Rabban Gamliel to have made this takana. So what, what's the nafkamina between them? So we have to see. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yochanan amar takanat mamzerim. Why does Rabbi Yochanan say takanat mamzerim? Savar lak Rav Nachman. He holds like Rav Nachman. De'amar bifnei shnaim ubeitrei leit lehukala. Ve'hilo shama ve'loyada ve'azla umin saba. So Rabbi Yochanan thinks that, yes, Rav Nachman is right. The husband originally could cancel the get, cancel the shaliach in front of two dayanim, two witnesses, and then because two people do not have a coal, two people hearing about something cannot spread it effectively enough. Uh, if two people next tell two people and two people it's growing at factors of two, it still grows pretty quickly, but not that quickly. Um, and therefore... Um, Late Lehukala, it doesn't create a coal, a well-known fact in the marketplace that everyone will know this woman is, is not going to be divorced. The woman will not hear about the get being batel, 
and therefore she'll go and remarry and they'll be mamzirim. Reish Lakish thinks that's not really a concern. He holds like Rav Sheshet, that we, it was required to cancel the Shaliyah in front of three Dayanim. When there are three, or perhaps when three people are sitting as a court, is perhaps a better way to understand it. There is a call, there is a public voice to their pronouncement or whatever happens when they're presiding. I would think particularly because of the formality of it being a court rather than just witnesses. Vishama Vayada, so the woman will hear about it and she'll know. She'll know that she's not divorced. Velo min saba, she won't get married. And therefore our concern is not that she will go and remarry. Our concern is that she won't be able won't to be remarry. Able to the husband has now claimed, I sent you a get, even though he canceled the get. And therefore the woman will be left hanging forever. Okay. So that's the machloket. Tosfot points out, yeah. if you see Tosfot ubeitre let lehukawa, so Tosfot points out the fact that within the concern of Rabbi Yochanan is also subsumed the concern of Reish Lakish. That is, being concerned even if it's announced in front of two people, so why couldn't Rabban Gamliel just say, okay, the halacha switches from being like Rav Nachman to being like Rav Sheshet. So now instead of requiring two witnesses, we require three. So obviously Rabban Gamliel had to make a dub, two-pronged Takana, according to Rabbi Yochanan. He had to first make it as if from two to three, and three to it's not allowed at all. That's kind of the logical step there. What Tosafos is saying to me is actually both concerns could easily apply mm -hmm. depending upon the generation or the community or the situation or the case. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the other Tosafos to see, Ubei Tlata Itlehu Kala, the suggestion that three Dayanim do create a call, and that Tosafot is just discussing the question of in other areas of halacha, we think that announcing something in front of two witnesses does create enough of a call. So under what circumstances or how much power do different numbers of people have to create this kind of public awareness? Or perhaps how far does it have to spread? Uh, so those are some of the questions Tosfot problematizes that assumption of the Gemara. The Gemara continues. Tan Rabbanan, betalo mevutal, divrei rebi. So we're going to see here now two, three, perhaps four machlokot between Rebbe and Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, his predecessor, uh, his ancestor, uh, about uh, some of these questions. Rebbe holds, betalo mevutal. Even after the takana of Rabban Gamliel hazaken, Rebbe's, what, great-great-grandfather, um, nonetheless, if the husband does cancel the get, it works. Rabban Gamliel said, you are not allowed to cancel the get. And Rebbe says, if you do cancel it, it still works. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, Eno yachol lo levat lo, velo lehosifal tenao. He's not able to either cancel the shaliach to deliver the get, or to extend the tenai. What if the husband had said, this is your get on the condition that 30 days pass. So you're divorced from now, 30 days from now. And then, on the 29th day, he actually says in front of two more witnesses, another 30 days. Another 30 days. <laughs> so, that's something that technically, to the husband, would have the power to do. As long as the tenai is not fulfilled, he would be able to extend the tenai. But, that can leave this woman hanging for, in a certain sense, forever. We know that you can't create an indefinite tenai. One of the halachot about the get is that it requires kritut. It requires a full severance of the relationship. So the husband can't say, 
The husband can't say, this is your get as long as you never drink wine forever, because that's not kritu, that's not severing their relationship. But if he says, you won't drink wine for the next month, that does work, because at the end of 30 days, the husband has no more control. So if we allow the husband to extend the tnai at the end of every month or right before the month is over, he can extend it one more month. Effectively, he can create a tnai that's a permanent tnai, even though there's always an end in sight, but he'll just keep extending it. So that's also a concern here that technically would be allowed. Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel says part of this concern perhaps was also to prevent that sort of extension of the tnai for the same reason that it just gives the husband sort of too much power uh, over the get, where he can evade the technical restrictions on the get and still cause a lot of problems for his wife or still exert control over that relationship. Sam, you have a question? Yeah. Um, in the case where you're saying, oh, yeah, wife, don't drink wine for 30 days, is she divorced after those 30 days? Are you saying... Right. Once the tanai is fulfilled at the end of 30 days, she will have been divorced already back from the time he gave the get. That's the oh, case weird. that the okay. Gemara deals All of those tanaim are interesting in that they have that sort of retroactive power. And then the question has become, how does that fit in with our discussion of Brera? How does that fit in with all those other kinds of questions about retroactive effects? Um, fine. So Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel said, these two things, you can't cancel the shaleach to deliver the get, and you cannot extend the tanai. Why? She'im kein ma'koach beit din yafeh. What is then the power of the takana of beit din? What power does Rabbi Gamaliel's takana have if it's not effective? If the husband can do what he always was able to do, just that you said that it's forbidden. Fine. You said it's forbidden. It doesn't prevent the problem. This gets into the question at the Deoraita level as well. The beginning of Tamura deals with the question of uh, things that are forbidden by the Torah. If you do it, does it count or not? Does it work or not? So certain re- relationships, certain marriages, we know, are ein kidushin tofsin, certain of the arayot. If you try to marry your mother, it doesn't work. If a Kohen marries a divorcee, the Kiddushin does work, but there's a violation. So that's part of the question of Torah-level prohibitions, can it work or not? Different cases are different, and here also, a rabbinic law as well, there's the concern, even if you break the law, maybe what you did works. Uh, so that's the question. And Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, no, 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 Rabban Gamliel's takana must have enough teeth, it must have effective power to actually prevent the problem, if it's going to mean anything at all. So he says, Makoach Beitin the Gemara asks on Rabbi Shimon Gamliel's objection. Do we have such a case that at the Deoraita level, the get is batel? The husband said, Shaliach, you're not my Shaliach anymore. So the get going to the wife will not divorce her at the Deoraita level. And nonetheless, Midrabanan, the rabbis have stepped in and said, Husband, you're not allowed to cancel that Shaliach, and therefore the get is still good. What has happened? At the Deoraita level, this woman is still married. And at the Deoraita level, her next relationship will be adultery. Nonetheless, Rabban Gamliel, according to Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, nonetheless, the rabbis have the power to step in and say, no, 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 mid-Deoraita, that's adultery. Mid-Deoraita, she's still Eishet Ish. And nonetheless, we would allow her to remarry. So the Gemara's objection, 
Out of a concern of the power, effectiveness of Beit Din, would we allow a married woman to remarry? That's absurd. And the Gemara answers, in, of course we do. So already we have some interesting tension building in this sugya. The statement of why this works, why we are allowed, or why Chazal were allowed in certain cases, to create takanot, to create rabbinic laws, which make a get good, which at the right the level is not a good get, is because of the principle, whoever gets married, marries on the will of the rabbis. And the rabbis therefore have the power to uh, annul the marriage. It's a bit of a controversial question. It comes up in a few other sugyot. Um, it's important to see Rashi. Rashi, uh, we'll see Rashi in a little bit actually. Okay. It's a huge principle. It's a huge it principle. That the marriage is a is the business of society and the power of the court. Yeah. It's not a romantic private affair well, between two individuals. At least kiddushin. Right. That kiddushin is a legal status change in the eyes of the court, in the eyes of society. It's a public affair. It requires witnesses. Part of that, according to this principle, takes place adate de rabbanan. Whoever gets married marries according to the approval of the rabbis. Part of that, perhaps, is encoded in the fact that when we get married, we say, according to Mosaic law, biblical law, as well as dat Yisrael, which is according to what is ever accepted halacha at the time. So to a certain, to a certain extent, or perhaps rabbinic law, um, the implicit uh, assumption of responsibility to abide by rabbinic and biblical laws regarding marriages. What we experienced in the United States was the Supreme Court decision. Where is the authority for declaring the definition of who's married and right. who's not married? Um, except in halacha, we still have to ask the question, how can it be that at the biblical level, God has said this marriage works, and the rabbis step in and say, no, it, no, doesn't. it doesn't. So what principle is being employed? Amar le ravina le ravashi, tenach de kaddish bekaspa. I'll accept that this principle makes sense with Kiddushay Kesef. When you use money to get married, when you use value, like marrying with a ring, because why? We have the principle, most of the Rishonim assume, Hefker Beitin Hefker. The rabbis can declare your money worthless or ownerless, and therefore, retroactively even, the monetary value that you use to get married is declared ownerless by the rabbis, and therefore you couldn't have gotten married to begin with. However, so Ravina asked Ravashi, how is it then, in a case of Kiddushay Bia, one of the three ways to get married, the first mission in Kiddushin, is through sexual act. So through sexual intercourse, how can it be then the rabbis can retroactively make it not the act of Kiddushin? So Ravashi responds, The rabbis equate that sexual act not with the Kinyan Kiddushin, creating the marital state, but as just a sexual act, a sexual act of a promiscuous relationship. They turn it into snoot. Right. They now, what is value, just like with Kesef, it's the same logic. Right. Now, why did... But is it valid? So what condition does this take place? Let's remember, the rabbis have a chazaka, an assumption, a legal fact, which is, Ein adamo said bi'ilato bi'latznut. When people engage in sexual intercourse, the assumption is that it is either in a marital context or to affect a marital context. That is, if a man engages in a sexual relationship with an unmarried woman, we assume his intention was 
Kiddushei Bia, to get married through that sexual act. The rabbis can then come along and pull the chazaka out from under his feet and declare, no, 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 the opposite is true. Actually, it was biad znut all along, and therefore it has no legal weight, and therefore the kiddushin is undone. So, can yeah. it be a va- Can what be valid? A, the cohabitation as an as a, as a, as a, um, intent of marriage is, in other words, it's up to the rabbis whether they want to allow that to... Ah, so this is an interesting question. In the first parak, first parak of kiddushin, the first mission in Kedushin says one of the three ways to get married is through cohabitation. However, Rav, we know Rav is one of the big Amoraim, Rav created a cheirim against Kedushin Bia because it's not appropriate. That's one of the three kinds of Kedushin that Rav declared invalid or inappropriate. And so that's also part of this question, how much power do the rabbis have to legislate something which mid oraita is a core principle of Kedushin, and yet they can pull the carpet out from under your feet. A very important Rashi on this page, Rashi Bi'ilat Znut, on the last three lines of the narrow lines, and then, as you see, a long paragraph. In Yeshiva, they tell you to worry about the short Tosfot and to worry about the long Rashis. So this is a long Rashi. One of my favorite things that happens in Rashi in his commentary on the Shas is when he disagrees with his rabbis. Rashi, we know, learned in Yeshiva in Germany for an extended period of time. First in... Mainz, and then in Varmaiza, and they had big library there, so he got to learn a lot of interesting things. They had great rebbeim there, so he got to learn with very good teachers, and he received the tradition that they had, the German rabbis had, going back a long time. But very often, Rashi, being French and being innovative, uh, disagrees with them. So um, almost every parak in Shas, I think, Rashi has an interesting machloket with his rabbis, but here we have a very important disagreement. Rashi quotes the opinion of his rabbis, the second wide line, the reason why called the Mikadesh Adaited the Rabbanan Mikadesh, why? Getting married with money only works at the rabbinic level anyway. Wow. That's wild. And Rashi disagrees very forcefully. Rashi's rabbis said because it's learned from Xera Shava, because the drash that derives Kiddushay Kesef is Xera Shava, which is an equation between the use of the same word, Kesef Kesef, between Amaha Ivriya. A female maidservant and marriage. So that equation doesn't necessarily carry deoraita weight. And Rashi says, I don't know what you're talking about. Gzera Shava is always a deoraita. Interesting to note as well the opinion of the Rambam, the Rambam in Hilcho Ishut, in at least some versions of the Rambam, there's a question of the correct Girsa. Some versions of the Rambam say Kiddushay Bia and Shtar are uh, Minha Torah. And Kiddushay Kesef is Midivrei Sofrim. Now we know that the Rambam has a different kind of gradation between the Oraita and the Rabbanan. Midivrei Sofrim is somewhere in that gray zone, which we, in our modern parlance, might call the Oraita. But the Rambam could not, according to his categorization, call the Oraita. It's somewhere in between. It's learned out by a drash, but it's not explicit in the Torah. So that's something similar to... Rashi's rabbis and Rashi's debate, how to understand that Rambam, the Kesef Mishnah, has an important comment there as well. So let's continue with the Gemara, Tan Rabbanan. Now we're going to see the second debate between Rebbe and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, which is going to be now a debate about what the applicability of this question is. So Rebbe and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, we saw already disagreed about whether the husband can nullify the Shaliach to send the get, um, even after Rabban Gamliel's Takana takes effect, this is a different machlokah. If he said to ten people, write a get for my wife, which really means two of you 
B, the witnesses on the get, and one of you write it, because the 10 of them there are sort of not all necessary for the process. He can go to some of them, perhaps two at a time, and cancel the entire agreement, even without the other eight knowing about it. Okay. Divrei Rebbe. He can only cancel it in front of all of them. Okay, so far so good. We have a machloket. When you inform a large group of people to write again, <coughs> does it cancel the entire group if you inform only some of them or not? Rebbe says if you tell two of them, it cancels the whole group. And Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says you have to inform the entire group. Okay? What are they disagreeing about? The principle that if a group of witnesses part of it has become cancelled, the entire group is cancelled. We can discuss that at another time. I actually just had a week-long uh, conference about that very issue. It's very interesting. Okay. Question? Yes. Isn't Rebbe Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel's son? I believe so. Okay. Unless it's a different Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel. But with all likelihood, yes. Okay. They're allowed to have machlokas. Okay. <laughs> it's an interesting thing to note. Um... <laughs> Yes, it's important to know. Also, Rabban Gamliel is the, the great-grandfather of Rabban Shimon Gamliel, and he's the great-great-grandfather of Rebbe. So this is all in the family, uh, how to understand the old traditions and, and the old halachot from, that you learned from your Alter Zebi. Okay. So Rebbe, presumably, Rebbe Savar Eidu Shabbat Lamiktsata Lo Batla Kula. Rebbe thinks that if you cancel too, it shouldn't cancel the whole thing. The Azle Hanach Katve Vihavi Lichtivu Vilaitzvu. So now this is a bit ironic. What did Rebbe say? Yachol It is possible for him to tell two, I'm canceling your power to write the get. Now the other eight can go and still do it. And therefore it is allowed for him to do that because his will to write the get will not be undone. What happens? If he thinks Eidut Shabbat Lamiktata Lo Batla Kula, he tells two people, don't write the get, after he told ten to write the get. The other eight can still and will still go and do it, and therefore there's no loss to the woman. Therefore, he says, it's allowed. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel savar, Eidut kula. So he says, it is batel. If you tell two of them, then all ten of them will lose their mandate to deliver and write the get. The two represent the ten. And therefore, it should be forbidden to tell two that it's canceled because the other eight will not know about it and will nonetheless be canceled and will be back to our problem. Mm-hmm. So that's the machlokas. So this is a similar concern, which is the husband withdrawing his approval for the shlichut part of the way through, and in what ways would it be allowed or not allowed? So Rebbe says... It would be allowed because it's basically not effective. Telling 10 people to do it and then canceling two of them, the other eight will still be able to do it, so it's allowed to do that because it's not effective. If it is effective, it causes a problem and therefore should be disallowed. And that's Rabban Shimon ben Gamaliel. Right. Right. So, so would, that's the Machlo. What? Why would the husband do it? Why would the husband do it? The husband is fickle, whatever. He has all... The husband could do whatever he wants. He knows that uh, it's not going to be effective. No, he doesn't know. This is a machlok. That's, a, that's the whole okay, point. this is after. In after. other words, this is a deliberation. The guy did it. Is it good or not? Okay. okay. So, an alternative interpretation of this same issue. No. Everyone agrees that if you cancel part of the group, it does not act 
actually affect a cancellation of the mandate of everyone. Why does Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel object nonetheless? In other words, he still thinks that it would be ineffective. He thinks that anything that's done in front of 10 people needs the whole 10 people to be there in order to cancel it. I'm not exactly sure what he's trying to articulate with this principle. It sounds like you have to have the whole group there. It's a decision that was made in a group or it was an instruction given to a whole group. In order to cancel that, you need the whole group. That's just how it works. That's not about the problem of what will happen if you allow this. It's just it's impossible to do it. So it's not this would work and I don't like it so it's included in Rabban Gamliel's Takana. It's this doesn't work. That's the difference. Okay. Doesn't that contradict the uh, why? Because, no, because he's saying exactly <laughs> that, that you, if a canceling part of the group won't be able to cancel anything. Canceling part of the group won't be able to cancel Right, that's his objection. He says you need the entire group there to cancel anyone. Even the, t- and Tosfo points out, yeah. according to this version, Rabban Shimon being Gamliel, even, the husband tells now two of the ten, don't go and write again. Those two could still go and write again because he didn't announce it in front of all ten of them. And that's a big Chiddush, and Toso points that out, but that's an interesting point. That's the Toso Tzriche. Okay, so the Gemara says, What if he had said not, 10 of you go write this get, but all of you, and that means all of them need to sign on the get. They all are the witnesses for the get. So then he should say, then it sounds like the reason for Rabbi Shimon Gamliel would be now we've reversed the Machloket and he would be the one to hold if part of the group of witnesses is cancelled, then the entire group would be cancelled. And that's why then retroactively it becomes a problem. Okay. So that's now a third way to read. Okay. Uh, the fact that he had said, all of you, and therefore it would be unable for them to go and write the get because only eight of them would be able to do it and the other two would be refusing and so it would never be effective. Or because he holds, now we can have both possibilities within that whole discussion. That Breita must have been talking about a case of Kulchem, and according to Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, there are now still two possibilities for how to understand his opinion, either because he thinks Edut Shabbat Lamiksata Batla Kula, and therefore it would be unable for them to sign the get, or because in order to undo the mandate given to all ten, they would all ten have to be there. And therefore he even holds his opinion when he said Kulchem. That's the Nafkamina between the two positions. Okay. Tashma, Amar Lishnaim, Tinu Get Lishti, Acholevatel Zesh Shalobifnezes. So now this is a different version, Divari Rebbe. So this is not now in front of ten, this is in front of only two Shlichim, or two witnesses. He says, Two of you go and write a get for my wife, give a get to my wife. That's Rebbe's opinion. He could cancel them one at a time. Rabban Shimon began Lomelomer, Enu Yacholevatel, Ela Zebifnezes. He can only cancel them both together. The Ha Shnaim, Dechi Kulchem Damu. Are two the same as saying that you, when you had a case of all ten of them, and you require you had said kulchem? Not exactly. It's kind of similar, uh, but not exactly. Upligi, Amar Ravashi, Ibe Dektiva, Hachanami, Hachanami. So then, so this is the question: Are they talking about the shlichim to deliver the get, or even the Ede Ketiva? Now, Ede Ketiva is a strange terminology. We saw 
We have Ede Khatima, the witnesses who sign on the get. We have Ede Mesira, the witnesses who deliver the get. We don't really have Ede Ktiva. What does that mean? So the Rashi reads it as the Shliach. The Shlichim, two Shlichim to deliver the get are called Ede Ketiva, but because we're trying to apply the principle of Edu Shabbatla Miktada Batla Kula, we have to call them Edim. Interestingly enough, Rashi and the other Rishonim now develop a term, Shlichut Shabbatla Miktada Batla Kula, derived from the application of this principle from Edut to Shaliach. Now we have a new principle. If you appointed multiple messengers to do the same job, multiple agents to do the same job, and then you cancel part of it, does that work or not? We're going to see at the end that's an interesting halachic point that comes out of the sugya. Hopefully we'll get to the end. Yeah, the question, the question is one of quality, not of quantity, right? They want to know, like, so two and ten, what's the difference? Right, exactly. So, so no, it's not talking about the shaliach not to write the get, but it's the shalichim to deliver the get. So that's talking about, oh, if you had told... Two of them, you could each tell them separately. That's Rebbe's opinion. If you're talking about shaliach uh, to just deliver the get, it makes sense because they don't have to function as a group. So telling one and then telling the other would be fine. So how can you group uh, not ungroup the two uh, who need to write the get? Because you told them together, you told them to write the get together, they have to sign the get together. So that's a harder claim to make. Ha Amar Mar, ein edutan mitzarefet ad ke'echad. And the principle by edut, that they have to both see it together, being there together in order to group together as a group of two witnesses. If one person saw it from one angle and one from another angle and they didn't know that they were each there, it becomes complicated because now you have two single witnesses is not equivalent to two witnesses coming together. One plus one is not exactly equal to two because of this concern. The two witnesses have to be together as a group. Okay, Dilma Rabbi ben Karcha, Severe Rashi has to tell us Rabbi Shua ben Karcha thinks that for a get, we don't require the witnesses to both see it together. One can sign and then the other can sign. Uh, that's Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, uh, uh, sorry, Rabbi Shua ben Karcha, uh, one sees the get and then the other sees the get and they could both sign. So that's different. Okay, Amar Rabbi Shmuel bar Yehuda, Shmit Menei Rabbi Abba, Tartei Chad. Tarti. I heard these two machlokot between Rebbe and Rabbi Shimon and Gamliel. Chada Karebi vechada Karebi Shimon and Gamliel. And he paskin one way like Rebbe and one way like Rebbe Shimon and Gamliel. And I don't know. Velo yadana hai Karebi vehai Karebi Shimon and Gamliel. I don't know which way to paskin on which case. Amar Rav Yosef nechse ana dechi ater Rav Dimi. Amar Maisa ve'asek Rebbe kedivri chachamim. So now he says Rav Yosef says I knew a case where there was a case where Rebbe actually retracted his opinion and did like chachamim, which means if you look in Rashi, the case of chachamim. That the rabbis, in a case of assessing the value of property, if they overassess more than 120% value or underassess less than 80% value, then the sale will be canceled. Okay? If they erred in their um, like assessment. It's like a stoot thing. Right. So that's a question of all these cases about ona and all those sort of values. So if the rab- so Rebbe ruled like Chachamim, Amar uh, Lefanav. So the point is there that the rabbis are of the opinion that in the case where the rabbis erred in their assessment, Michran Batel, their sale is canceled. That means that we don't worry about Makoach Beitin and therefore Rebbe it seems retracted his position on that concern which was the first machloket about whether or not the husband power can 
can work or not. In other words, Rebbe holds like Chachamim, indicates that Makoach Beitin Yafe he doesn't care about. And therefore, in the second Machloket, he held like Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. Okay? Amar Lefanav, Rebbe Prata Benosho, Rebbe Lazar ben Prata ben Benosho, Rebbe Prata Hagadol. So that's an interesting family. I haven't heard of this Rebbe Prata Hagadol so often, but it's very interesting. He's called Rebbe Prata, the son of Rebbe Lazar ben Prata, who was the son of Rebbe Prata the Hagadol. So interesting point. In kein makoach beitin yafeh, v'chazer Rebbe v'aisek Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. So it must be that originally Rebbe held like makoach beitin yafeh and then reversed to hold like Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. Medahak the Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel ha'ach kerebi. So because the principle of makoach beitin yafeh, Rebbe reversed his opinion to agree with Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel that Makoach Beit Din Yafet is an important principle in enforcing rabbinic uh, and Beit Din affairs. Therefore, in the second Machloket, we must paskin like um, Rebbe and not Rabban Shimon Megamliel. Okay. The Af Rabbi Oshai de Manusha. In other words, I'm sorry. In other words, that, that principle of Koch Beit Din Yafet uh, is required to assert the authority of the Chachamim to correct a problem that would that that the Torah law would have enabled to emerge. Right. So the second case of Makoch Beitin Yafeb was a monetary case. The rabbis assessed the value of a property right. and sold it at far above or far, or far below, below the market, market value. value. And nonetheless, their sale is binding right. because right. otherwise, uh, what power does the court have? To deal in monetary issues. I know the right it shouldn't have been binding. Right, it should have been batel. It should have been batel. More than 120 percent, right. less than right. 80 percent. That's a doraisa law. That's a doraisa law. Right, and nonetheless, the rabbis, if and the that's court did it, right. to the, yes, and that's, he right. therefore right. changed his mind in the monetary case, in the civil case, in order to do the status thing. And now, yet we're going to see right at the top of lamedalah lamedalef, there should be a distinction between uh, marital law and monetary law. So perhaps this conclusion is still not going to shed so much light on this. Rabbi Oshaya from Usha also thought one of these machlokot, the halacha, should follow Rabbi, and one should be like Rabban Shimon Gamliel. There were five old sages sitting in front of Rabbi Oshaya from Usha. There was someone who came before them and they forced him to give a get against his will. Presumably they were beating him heavily. Look in Rashi to see some of the discussion about uh, forcing someone to consent to give a get. To give a get under duress is the power that the courts had back then. They don't have now. Okay. So they told the two witnesses, go and hide and then write the get and give it to her. Meaning that the husband, we're worried the husband will come and find you and tell you to not write the get afterward. He was forced in court. He appointed two witnesses to go make the get. And then they told the witnesses, go run and hide so that the husband can't come to you and cancel the get. Because the power of the shaliach works, a real shaliach who was appointed with consent the husband can't withdraw his consent to the get except in person, right? Unless he cancels the shlichut, the shaliach can go do it even if the husband changes his mind in his heart afterwards. Okay. Uh, if you hold like Rebbe, that the husband can cancel the power of the get just by making a new bait din, 
So then why do they have to go run and hide? He can find other people, two other people, and tell them to cancel the shlichut. In the first case, and if you think maybe in that case he also held like Rabban Shimon Begam Liel, even though we know he hold, held one machloket like one and one machloket like the other, no, and even in that case then, if he had held like Rabban Shimon Gamliel, he would have just told them to separate, not to hide, because Rabban Shimon Gamliel says you have to tell them both together. And therefore, if he held in both cases like that, then he would have told him the other way. He holds in one case like Rabbi and one like Rabban Gamliel. The Rava Amar, now we're in Eretz Yisrael, uh, in, in Bavel, sorry. Rava Amar, Rav Nachman, Halacha kerebi bishtehen. The halacha is actually not like either of these earlier Amoraim who told us one like one and one like the other. No. Halacha is like Rebbe in both cases. And he doesn't hold like Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman does not hold like Makoach Beitin Yafe. In other words, that's why we hold like Rebbe that even after the Takana of Rabban Gamliel, the husband does retain the power to cancel the Shlichut in front of two other witnesses. Okay, the Hamar of Nachman, Amar Shmuel, Yitomim Shebao Lachlov, Benechse Avien, Beitin Mamidin Lahem Napetropus, Uborin Lahenchelik Yafed. Don't we have a case of if there were um, orphans who now are receiving an inheritance, these are Katanim, uh, minor orphans, who is, uh, don't have a monetary know-it-all uh, know to divide their uh, inheritance properly. So the court appoints guardian. guardians to represent each of them in the inheritance proceedings to pick proper portions for both of them that make sense logically for their own benefit. And afterwards, the Yatomim, once they grow up, they can actually contest. protest. They can contest the division of the property. And Rav Nachman said they cannot contest that division because presumably he holds Makoach Beitin Yafe. Ah, so what's the conclusion? There's a difference between applying the principle of Makoach Beitin Yafe in a monetary case, which Rav Nachman does agree to. That is, monetary powers, Beitin, must have absolute control. And nonetheless, in Isurim, in ritual law or Torah status cases, things that are much more bound not just by convention and a mutual agreement and societal rules, but actually by the laws of the Torah, then Makoach Beit is not a guiding principle for Rav Nachman. So the conclusion we have from this sugya is, number one, according to Rava, the Halacha follows Rebbe in both cases. We had a concern, but what about Makoach Beit we conclude Makoach Beitin Yafe only applies to monetary cases and not to Isurim. Interestingly enough, if you look in the back, the Ran on the Rif notes that from the Rambam, it's very interesting. On the one hand, in these two cases, he does Paskin like Rebbe, but in the case of Shlichut Shabbatla Mixata Batla Kula, the Rambam Paskins against Rebbe. That is, he holds like Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel. Why? The Gemara is explicit. Halacha Karebi betray, right? The Halacha follows Rebbe in these two cases, but not in general. And therefore, there's actually a distinction between Eidut Shabbat Lamechtata Bat Lakula, where we say yes, and Shlichut Shabbat Lamechtata Lo Bat Lakula. That by Shlichut, the same principle does not apply, and the Ran just leaves it hanging. There must be some conceptual distinction between making a Shaliach, 
where if you appoint two people to be your shaliach and then you cancel one of them, the other one still is in power, as opposed to wit testimony, where two witnesses who witness a crime and one of them is canceled, the other is also canceled. They work as a team. Shaliach, shalichut, does not work in, as a team in the same way. The Ran leaves it hanging as a question, but we can try to suggest conceptual distinctions. Shaliach can be a, a the 